Octanon Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Rep Power is a CEO and founder of Accountability, Inc. He is the best-selling author of The Entrepreneur's Book of Actions, which I think you know that I'm already a fan of that. He's a Forbes columnist, and he was recently named the best business coach in the United States. How's that for some sort of significance? In 2018, he was asked to be part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches Program, which is for the top executive coaches in the world, and was recently named the number one thought leader on entrepreneurship by Thinkers360. So if this tells you the, the quality of this man, I think that you guys are going to love this entire conversation. He has started and exited six startups and co-founded Accountability, Inc. to help founders and executives be courageous, fight fear, be more focused, and build accountable highly functioning companies. In addition, he hosts one of the first and most popular LinkedIn live shows, The Power Launch Live. Rhett, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for your time. And I was talking about your your body of work. And I said off camera, but I want to say it so everyone else can hear it. There's a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of executive coaches out there. And when people introduce themselves or approach me as that, I say, oh, have you heard of Jerry Colonna or Marshall Goldsmith? And if I get sort of like a, a wrinkle in the, the forehead, then that shows me that they're either new to it or perhaps they haven't done a lot, enough of their due diligence. We're going to talk about you a lot, obviously, but can you explain to us who Marshall Goldsmith is, what the 100 Coaches is, how prestigious that is, and then how that group has, has helped you as, as we are speaking today? Uh, that's, a, that's a huge question. Um, you know, Mar- Mar- Marshall is... I would say really the father of coaching and the modern coaching and, and the way we think about coaching today. And, you know, he's had an amazing influence on me and, and actually leading me to being a coach. I, I was a sort of a serial founder and really loved actually building companies and starting things and ideating and then creating and then building. And in my last exit in 2014, I was sort of like, in this sort of void, I, I was out and needed, I wasn't like, wasn't that I didn't have a plan. I just didn't, well, maybe I didn't have a plan. Maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's the truth. I didn't have a next plan. That's probably the truth. And I was intrigued by coaching. I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't know what it really, and, and, and the hundred coaches and, and Marshall and people around Marshall at the time really challenged me to think about, what my not only my focus, but what was what was the fire that I what what was I fired up about? What what was the fire in the belly? As my like little league football coach used to say, like what was that fire in the belly that you had? And and you know, think back to something that you love that ignites kind of ignites your soul. And 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 is that something you should be thinking about? And it made me think about being in Peace Corps and teaching and like seeing kids that be inspired by the the work that you're doing with them. And I thought about that a lot and it, you know, sort of coaching kept coming back and I kept being surrounded by these people and, and by these coaches that I had no idea were world-class coaches and some of the best coaches in the world. Somehow I, I got into that group of people. I don't know why or how, or but it happened. And, and, and so that inspired me to be, become a coach and Marshall, you know, Marshall has had that impact on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people. Thousands. Yeah. And, you know, he had great influences, uh, you know, Warren Bennis and some, some legends 
in 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 coaching and 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 really management thinking. And so, and I think in 2015 or 16, he thought about as he got older, how does he grow coaching? How does he help people in the coaching business grow their practices, grow their influence? And he thought about this program and he started with 15,000. He started with 15 people. He was going to mentor and, and help 15 people. And he put out a, a single post on LinkedIn and he got 18,000 people that wanted to be in the program. So he was like, oh my God, as he would tell you. And, and so that grew to 100. And ultimately, I think it was 50 next and 100 next. And then it's called the 100 Coaches. And it's really to bring together the best coaches in the world, best thinkers in the world, to help grow their practices, to help grow the coaching business itself, to help introduce leaders around the world to what coaching is and what it should be, what it can be. You know, he's de- he de- does it all for free. I mean, this is someone that charges, you know, hundreds, $100,000, $200,000 to speak or to coach someone, you know, to coach a CEO, that's what, that's what he charges. But he works with us for free, and it's out of the generosity of his heart and his his really helping him leave a legacy of giving and a legacy of knowledge that he's collected and learned over the years and help us give that to us so that we can give that to our people. So I, to our clients. So the impact that Marshall's had is, I don't know that I could put that into succinctly put that into, I mean, he's, he coaches presidents and leaders and the biggest organizations in the world. And us into that circle and he's brought us into that that network of people and so i'm just eternally grateful for that well i think you've more than earned it it's not as if it was uh just kind of given to you because they felt like you know oh this guy over here is like no you've obviously done the work and jeff kirshner is the one that connected us and then even when you look into this sphere uh, i've had soft the call on the on my my show as well talking about yeah. kind of this ability to think more divergently than convergently on certain aspects, right? And that's that's everything. And they they have this audacity to be courageous and looking for perspectives, answers. You know, it we, we think so often that something has to be convergent where like a math problem, it's it's finite, it's binary. Either it's correct or it's not. But you and I understand that in business, very few things are finite. There are PLs and things like that and KPIs, yes, but the dynamics of the environment, the dynamics of the team, the dynamics of the industry, the dynamics of the world are always changing and evolving. So instead of trying to find this static state of balance and desperately trying to hold on to it, what are we supposed to do as coaches? We're supposed to say, I want you to learn to adapt more efficiently. I want you to trust your instincts here. I want you to build people around you that will do the same. And then I want you to drop your ego. So if they point something out and call you on something that you don't get your back up and try to fight against them. It's like, you've hired these people. You've spent a lot of money on them. Let them do their job. Let them work for you. Let them, let this thing evolve, create this synergy so that now you get caught up in your own jet stream. That's helps you succeed. As opposed to on your website, you have that great thing about, are you a leader that realizes that you can't do it all? It's like, absolutely. Right. You can't, we're not good enough, smart enough, disciplined enough to do it on our own. Right. Yeah, there's not enough hours in the day, even if we were trying to do it on our own, right? That's right. It's, and why would you want to? <laughs> and there is a lot of the um, you know hustle culture and grind, 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 especially in young young entrepreneurs, team no sleep and all that stuff. But that shows me that they are not focusing on the appropriate things. They're not truly prioritizing things. I always tell my clients that if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. And now we're stuck in this, like, yeah. where, what do I do next? Or everything seems... or if they're not having intention, then they're constantly what on the back foot. They're always fighting fires. And that's I've not sustainable. No, it's not sustainable. Of course, and it's not a way to run a business, and it's not a, a business that you're going to want to work in. Yeah, I mean, who wants to be led like that? I don't. I have. I've been led like that in jobs I've had when I was younger, and it sucked. It's chaotic. It, it is so chaotic. So, I guess this kind of comes to that question of understanding systems, protocols creating SOPs around a problem and then understanding that we need to be solution focused as opposed to pointing our fingers at who didn't do what or who dropped the ball. 
those things will happen inevitably. And lots of times it's the leader that drops the ball if we're being really honest. So if we can be solution focused, what does that stop us from doing? It stops us from taking sides and trying to figure out if we're on the side that was correct or the side that was incorrect, quote unquote, and look at this overarching vision of, is this conversation, is this problem, is this meeting helping us get closer to what our, our mission and purpose is, or is it breaking us back? Because oftentimes you have sales and you have fulfillment or, you know, sales has got certain motivations, fulfillments. Like, I feel like we're just picking up the pieces and they're promising the moon and we're bending over backwards. And now there's this unintentional friction. But mm -hmm. if we are willing to look at that friction, honestly, we can turn it into traction, but it takes a lot of perspective changing, right? It does. Indeed. I can't say any more perfectly than that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so with Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, what was the, because he's written so many incredible books, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Things like that. Talking mm -hmm. about how, especially as leaders, sometimes they have this idea that I'm the leader, I'm the CEO, I'm the big guy, you do what I say. And it seems simplistic. It's like, Hey, don't, don't be an ass. Don't be disrespectful. Don't talk down to people. You know, you wouldn't want them to speak to you in such a manner. Can you tell us about either something that you you read of his or maybe a quote or maybe just hearing him speak, something that really just punched you in the face and made you step back and really take a different look at the way you do things? Uh, yeah, a couple. I was on a walk with him a couple of years ago in Dubai. Wow. And the being in the hunter coaches, you, you get a lot of time to be with Marshall and have dinners and go to events and, and spend time. And he and I went on a, a long walk around the Burj Khalifa and around central part of Dubai and um, looking for a place to eat and then looking for a place to get some champagne. But, um, <laughs> and then, uh, but, you know, one of the things that he said to me a couple of times was, you know, get out of your own way. You like you. You've got to be self-promotional. You've got to get out there and promote your work. You've got to get out there and tell people about what you do. Just because you you create it doesn't mean people are going to see it. Just because you built a good system and a good product and a good you've got a good company doesn't mean people are going to find it. And doesn't mean that you're going to automatically get business. You've got to do the business part of it. So don't be self-conscious or get in your own way about telling people about what you do and, um, and being out there, putting it out there, putting that work out there for, for people to see. And that's, a, that's a big, it's not a big thing to get over, but I think a lot of us uh, in coaching, we're really focused on helping people. We're really focused on the coaching work, right? Right. We, we, we like helping people achieve and, and accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. We want to, we want to help them. What we have a hang up on is the, the building the business side and then the promotional side of it, right. And the social proof side of it that you have to have really to, yes. uh, I think to not to be successful, but to, to give people a reason to do business with you and to work with you. Um, so that was, sort of a big mindset set shift um, for me to sort of get out of my own head and, and, and not worry about putting out an article in Forbes or Inc. or uh, put out a book. You know, um, he was instrumental. He's, uh, we're actually uh, co-authoring a book right now on accountability. And, and so that's taken us a bit and it's going to probably be 2025 by the time we get it done. But Hey, you know, um, you can't rush perfection. Um, but I think that's the biggest piece of advice he's he's ever ever given. And and then I think just listening to how you I think one of the things is there was a, a client I was struggling with at some point, and he said, you know, um, and and there was it was good money. But this person wasn't changing. This person wasn't um, really internalizing the work, wasn't really committed to the work, but was doing the work because he was being told to do the work by the board. Ooh. And and the courage, some stuff that Marshall told me and advice that he gave me, 
gave me the courage to say to that board and to the client, look, you're not committed. So I have to, we have to part ways. And it was the right thing to do, but it took courage to do it because I was a new, it was a, I was new in the business. I needed the work, right? I want, I wanted the work probably more than I needed it, but I wanted the work because I was learning too, but that client wasn't willing to do the work. And so it wasn't going to benefit them and it wasn't going to benefit me. And to have the courage to say, and to cut it off, I think was another good piece of advice um, that's certainly well since, you know, when you have somebody that's got an ethical issue or somebody that's got, that's not committed, you, you can't, you can't, you can't work with them because you're not going to make any, you, you're not going to get anywhere and you're wasting your time. You're wasting their time, the boards, everybody's, it, and it's, it's so insane because like you said, as coaches, we try to put a price point on there that makes that person flinch to get them to commit, to get them to have literally skin in the game. But what you're talking about is a situation where the company or the board is coming out of their funding. So that CEO doesn't feel that. And so there is no leverage for him to push except for the board telling him, hey, you need to do this. And he's like, okay, it's almost like it's, you know, it has to go to the DMV or has to go to, you know, some sort of counseling. Right. It's like, I'm just going to check the box and make sure that I can get it. But, and all young coaches go through this where you have a person you're trying to give them the best that you can, but you know in the interaction that they're not committed. And what happens to right. me now? Now as a coach, what do I do? Subconsciously, I hold back because I know they're not going to do it. And now what happens? They pick up on that. And now it is this, yep. un, it's this reciprocal unhappy marriage. We're wasting time. Now I don't change their life. They don't give me referrals of great other people to work with. Correct. I feel like I'm failing. They feel like I'm not good because I'm not doing the work. And all of a sudden, we're just wasting our time. That's and it. first of all, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence for you to notice that as a coach. But it takes even more courage to say, I got to fire this person. They're not a good fit. But after, yeah. you've, after well, you I've, fired them, you it made you level up exponentially after that, right? And I, and I remember the question the, the board chair asked me, and which was, well, what do we do with this person? You know, because this was sort of, I mean, coaching was a condition of, of employment or continued employment. Wow. And, and I said, well, he wasn't committed to me. I will tell you this. He wasn't committed to me coaching him. You know, I think, uh, can he be committed to, to another coach perhaps? Uh, is it worth trying? Probably. If he, brings this much value to the organization. But if if he's not willing to work with another coach and do the work, if you get the same, if you get the same report from another coach, then you 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 have a tough decision to make. And and I, you know, some of it was behavior. And um and those are tough when you have those kind of questions, when you have to end an engagement, that's a tough thing to, to say, have to say to somebody, I don't think he's going to work out for you. And and that's that's a tough tough position to be in but that's the position uh, we sometimes find ourselves in yeah as as the coach sometimes we are the only one that will shoot straight for them and like you said think about it you have the ceo if you look on paper the companies are doing amazing he's surrounded by virtually a bunch of yes men mm -hmm. a bunch of people that will sort of placate to his personalities his idiosyncrasies, right. whatever it is so when a person that's actually a really good coach comes in and pushes them and challenges them. And then they don't like that. Like you said, you're going to get more of that. So right. we, we have, it's a, it's an amazing job and it's an amazing opportunity, but these are some of the conversations that we have to have and some of those decisions that we have to make because we have to be just as resolute to our actions as they are, or actually are not in this case to theirs. That's, that's hard. That's really hard, and you you know you bring up a good point. We have to sort of follow our own advice, right, and our own our own coaching, and um, we have to make some decisions sometimes that if a client isn't right for us, not the right fit, then we have to to make that tough decision. I, and I think that's the smart thing to do. To your point, like I don't want to live with that. I don't want to live with myself that if I just did a did a client for money and for the fee. Right, um, but I, there was no value because because it does it does feed that sort of 
cycle of, well, I'm not going to really prepare for this call today because, yes, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna become lazy as a coach, and and that's a that's all. Nah. Yeah, we're if we ever phone it in, um, I'm to a place as a coach now where I'm sure like you are, where if there's anything on my docket or if there's anything on my calendar, when it comes to a conversation, a Zoom call, a phone call, a speaking event, going somewhere to a company, and I am not excited about it, then I should never have committed to that or I should never have had my my you know agent or my my assistant say yes to whatever that is. It's like, send them their money back because this is not going to fulfill me. It's going to feel like a waste. And um, as you said, you know, we were speaking earlier about a, an incredible conversation that you had yesterday with a a young man who's um, dealing with mortality. And when I was injured, paralyzed from the neck down, because we all know that we have a time that we're not going to be here. We know that there's an expiration date on this. And that's very true. But at 40 years old, being paralyzed from the neck down after being very physically active, doing martial arts my whole life, being in the infantry, the light infantry, allowing myself to be pushed far above and beyond what even I thought was capable of myself, preparing to deploy to go out. That was amazing. But then being in that place where now this thing that you were so accustomed to is taken from you. And now you're not going to die, but the rest of your life will be paralyzed from the neck down at 40. So in many ways, that was a fate worse than death, in my opinion, at the time, because I have no independence. I'm going to have to be taken care of by somebody. I'm going to have no autonomy. And now this thing that, again, it's that accountability, right? That adversity punching me in the face saying, how much more has to happen in your life before you take action? How much more right. has to happen before you pat yourself on the back for being smart by reading a book? When are you going to apply this? No bullshit. When are you really going to answer that question? And how long are you going to be res resolute to do those things? Yeah. Like that's that's where we have to be informed as a coach because that, that CEO is is asking very similar questions. It may not be, seem as dire when I talk about this idea that you know we have a very finite amount of time to execute on what we want as a CEO, to, to be a co-founder, to, to even to do a side hustle or to write a book. And I'm not saying it in a dire way, like, well, you may die or you may be paralyzed from the neck down. But if you're 23 right now and you have zero responsibility other than yourself and paying the bills for wherever you live, now is the time to start to look towards a profession, uh, an interest to, to intern for somebody. Because when you become 25 and you're married, those things change. And now that time is done. Or maybe you're married and now you have a child and now you have competing priorities. And now your ability to be brutally honest with yourself about what really is a priority to you is skewed. And now that forces you to compromise integrity in everything that you do from there on out, from the amount of food that you put in, the physicality that you apply to yourself, the questions that you ask yourself when nobody's around. That's what we have to do. 100%. 100%. That is spot on. And that's, Right. For so many people, I, 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 when you were talking about, you know, you're 23 and you, you're, you're, this is the time to really put in a lot of work, put in the work to set yourself up for, for what's next for life. Really. You know, I, I go back to conversations that I've had with my, my 19 year old, my 17 year old, right. And, you know, he was my, he's doing really well in, in, in school right now, but in college, but he, uh, I remember this conversation I had with him when he was a senior in high school. And he said, I want to take a gap year. And I said, okay, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm for that, but I, I, okay, I can embrace that. What's your plan? He said, well, I, you know, I just hang out and have some fun. I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're going to take a year off and figure out what you want to do, then that means you really should be working at, some different things and you should be working hard at some different things to see what it is that excites you. What, you know, um, so this, don't, don't think of it as a year where you're going to get to go play. Right. And just, you know, go hang out with your buddies and do what people do at 19, this, these days, this day and age. But, you know, I said, well, the other option is, well, won't you go in the military? If you, if you're not sure what you want to do right now, right. It's time to, it's time to, to, that that's a really good opportunity for you 
to go explore, get some experience, um, understand discipline and understand the role that it plays in success. That didn't, that didn't go so well. Either, but <laughs> he decided after my talk, I said, I also have a friend down in Charleston, South Carolina, I can help you pick tomatoes, um, you know, in the August heat um, <laughs> of, of the South. And so that, yeah, that didn't go well either. So <laughs> school became a better option as I started floating options of what mm. a year might look like, right? Um, but I think to your point, right, it's easy for coaches to get lost, to come back to that, right? It's easy for us to to take on people that we shouldn't. And I, and I think having a a system that helps you discern what that what that ideal client looks like. You know, I look, I work with a couple of coaches now and and going through their client, their ideal client and understanding who that is, challenges are, and what they can help them accomplish. I, I'm su- eternally surprised. I don't know why I'm always surprised that people don't do that level of of a deep dive into who they best connect with and who they best can serve. And if you don't get really specific about that, you're going to run into a lot of situations where you're scratching your head and saying, wow, this wasn't the right client. It's so easy. And like you said, especially if we're, if we're going up in our, our price range and we find a person that is willing to do that, like you said, okay, they're financially qualified, but that's, literally the last box we should be checking. Like there's all these other ones that we should be talking about. And how willing are you to understand that there is this sphere of existence that is you and all these circles outside of just your business, your physicality, your your relationships, your family. Um, If there's a spirituality component, what sort of edification are you giving to yourself daily? I mean, all of these things, they're undeniable. And when you step back and show somebody that even on a diagram, I've had CEOs that say, I understand that there are a couple of these spheres, but these other ones I didn't think mattered. And it's like, but it absolutely does. And they are all predicated upon the other. And they all have that, again, that synergy where now they're all making us better. That, that discipline, that accountability that you talk about. And I love that you mentioned this idea that in my experience, there are either people that want the, the big challenge that forces them into the situation to do something so like when I joined the military and infantry school, like that's four and a half months of just, they're trying to weed you out. This was back when it was still um, challenging. AIT. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of it. Absolutely. In 2011. Um, but there's also this idea that what you and I preach, which is this, how to get to the monumental, we focus on the incremental daily. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we need that all the time. But we also need this other thing that's that's further out, that's on the horizon, that gives us yeah. that understanding of how important this accountability is for the singular thing is today that moves the needle, as opposed to thinking, I'm going to wait until the last minute and sort of cram for the finalists. Like, we can't do that in, in the real world. It doesn't work out like that. Maybe you can, you know, get by in certain situations, but... When it comes to your business or your life, or when you have a business and you have payroll and now you're affecting other people's lives, we, this is for real. You can't be an amateur. You have to be a professional and you have to have that sort of commitment the way that uh, a worker or a, a warrior does or a soldier where it's like, I show up every day. Whatever my 100% is in this moment, I give it. Did I not get a lot mm-hmm. of sleep last night? Did I travel? Am I? Did I not get the great food? That's fine. But in this moment, I still need to be able to deliver. What does that look like? How am I able to do that in a way that's truly valuable? And then, as you were saying, how can I do that in a very scalable manner, meaning sustainably, meaning being authentic to who we are from the very beginning? Yeah, no, no doubt. And you bring up some really good issues for for coaches and for uh, entrepreneurs, leaders in general, right? Where to hit that. Uh, I love that how you said the incremental, right? You've got to focus on the incremental to get to the big, and you've got to do that daily, right? That's a daily grind. That's a daily, right? That's a daily focus. It's a daily discipline. And I think for for a lot of people now, I have like the worst case of ADD in the world, and so for me, I have to have a system for that, right? I have to like manage myself. And so much leadership, right, is about managing yourself and managing your reactions, managing how you, you know, are you making decisions based on 
the stated values of the organization? Are you making decisions based on your values, right? Um, are and, and do people see that you live into the values of what you talk about, you know? And do you act the way that you uh, say that you want the company to act? Um, and so, so many of that is just, it's a self-management. And I, I think really good leaders that I've been fortunate enough to work with and be around, they were really good at self-management part, right? They were very disciplined. They, not that they didn't give themselves a little bit of grace every once in a while, but they were very good at the self-management and the day-to-day management of the key things that had to get done. Um, and, and they stayed focused on that. They didn't get, dis- they don't get distracted by the bright, shiny objects that we have. So many ways to get distracted today, right? Yes. And so that's that's what sets them apart. Like, like I've always wondered what set certain leaders apart from others and why certain companies were successful and others weren't. And it and it's really comes down to those sort of some of those things. I know it sounds sort of cliche, but it, it really does come down to discipline. It really does come down to self-management. It really does come down to um being who you say you are, being authentic, being being real. Um acting in a way in accordance with, um, you know, who you portray yourself to be. Um, and, and all that is, it sounds so simple, but it is so, so true. Like, um, you know, Marshall is who he says he is. Yeah. And um, Alan Mulally is who he says he is. A lot of these people that are, uh, Jim Kim, who is in, in, is in the MG100, who's chair of the World Bank, head of the World Bank, is who he says he is, right? So these people are authentic and they're real and they're not, um, they're, they don't have any pretense about um, things. And so I I think, I don't, I don't know where we were going with this, but I, I think to me, authenticity and, and being focused and disciplined is all the keys to, to being successful. And it, and it comes down to that daily practice and that daily focus to reach those big things. Uh, it's actually pretty simple. If you if you really dissect success, it's pretty simple. And what I have found is just like I'm sure you have, when people work with us, we're not giving them anything that's really rocket science or they haven't mm-hmm. seen before. But what are we doing? No. We're holding them to that. We're putting their feet to the fire. We're giving that accountability and showing them that there are days when I give CEOs the, the power list, like it's two or three things that if they get those things done, those are the real priorities. And if you can get that done by noon, yeah. man, the rest of the day is gravy. But there are going to be times when leaders where mm-hmm. it may be eight or nine o'clock at night and that there's still that one thing that you haven't got finished. It's not ideal and it's not convenient, but we still have to make sure that we check that box so that we can continue to to move forward in those manners that serve us and create that long-term momentum but again, it's very difficult for us to get there without somebody kicking us in the ass in, in the most caring kind of way. It's like, I, I want to hug you and then kick in the ass. It's like, you can do this. Now let's go. The, also, Good. go ahead. Yeah. No, no, but you're right. Like, uh, I mean, you, you got to have a daily practice. And I, I talk about a couple of things. Like, I, I think joining an accountability group where you've got to report out um, that's transparent and everybody sees what everybody's doing. But that you have, you know, these certain goals that are stated, you have people push you on those. And if you don't get those done, you have a, a group that is not of yes people like we were talking about, but of people who are outside of your company, outside of your authority, outside of your, you know, reporting structure that will kick your ass on that stuff. Right. Um, and I think also if you're not, if you don't have a daily practice of a reflection, then it goes back to, again, what we were talking about. When you're working in chaos and you're working in sort of this fast pace that we're in, um, if you're not stopping and having a daily practice of reflection where you're, you know, looking at um, the lessons from the day, um, the challenges, the, uh, the things that, 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 that you're not exactly thrilled about, um, also looking at the things that you're, you're excited about. Um, then we miss the wisdom that those all those lessons that we learn every day, we miss the wisdom that they that they offer. And and so to me, like having that daily practice of reflection is a bridge to understanding. It kind of kind of connects our experiences to insights and our actions to outcomes and really our dreams to reality. 
So I, I think there's a, I don't know, I'm off on a tangent now, but like there's so many things that that you can do to get better and to guarantee that you're going to do better and be better for your for your people and your organization. I mean, I think that the accountability group is important. I think having a daily reflection practice is important. I think you know, Marshall takes it even a step further where where we do he does the daily questions and he has somebody, he pays somebody to call him every day right. to you know ask certain questions about how he's done that day. And he has to give himself a score. So it's 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 Uber accountability is um again another way to to really do and accomplish what you want to accomplish in life. And those reflections, like you said, the beauty of adversity is it strips away all of the facades Mm -hmm. because with that accountability and that thing punching us in the face, we don't have the energy to keep up any, all the masks fall away. And then we see who we really are. Um, Oftentimes it's not perfect, but we're, Mm -hmm. you're humans. Of course, it's not perfect. Of course, there's going to be something that we're not proud of, but those reflection questions allow us to do it. And as you're mentioning with Marshall, I, I believe there are 25 questions and they're pretty much, I believe they're yes or no. And he said that you have to make peace of the idea that oftentimes your honest answer is going to be no. I didn't do that. I wasn't doing those things. But the beauty of that is he takes away this facade of perfection and just says, so now make peace of the idea that this is a practice. Make peace of the idea that this is not a, a pass or fail score. This is more about just being honest. And frankly, now you can be even more honest as opposed to giving yourself, uh, yeah, I did that today. No, you didn't. And that yeah. helps it's us. Growth, it's, growth, it's growth with intent, right? Yeah. Is what it is at the end of the day. Like it's, it's, it's admitting who you are and your shortcut. It's, it's, it's being directly honest. It's like being real honest about, brutally honest about who you are and, and how you do it. We can't lead effectively if we don't. Yeah, we, it's it's our compass, and I've also found yeah. that when people I love that work compass, that's that's I love that work compass. It's the truth, right? And I found also that again, especially CEOs, executives, people that are driven, dare I say, Type A people or like achievers, mm-hmm. it's easier to to tell them to push on the gas than to to pump the brakes and and rein them back, which is often hard for them. But at the same time, when they see this path and they say, okay, here, 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 this quarter, end over end growth, you know, a year, three years, five years, whatever it is, oftentimes if we have this path before us, we naturally as humans try to feel ways to circumvent or to shortcut. But if you focus on the process, like with what you're talking about, with Dr. Goldsmith is talking about, it helps us understand that we cannot circumvent these things. It's like trying to circumvent accountability or circumvent emotion. I always say that there are two ways to deal with adversity correctly and again. (laughs) So these reflections help us face that adversity now and, and become aware of it. And then, like you said, if you're asking those same questions over and over again for a week and you're like, I'm saying no to this all the time, like that's not even on my list of things that are important. It's like, okay, be honest. Does that need to be something you're asking yourself? Is it serving you? Or if it is, why are we not actually making that? Like you said, it's there's actions and words, right? Oh, here's my list of what I want to do. And then you look at what they're doing. It's like, these things are completely incongruent. And what does that breed? Anxiety within that person, distrust yeah. within the organization. Oh, we, we believe in this. And then you see that that's not how we're leading. And it's like, well, now we're literally shooting ourselves in the foot and it's impossible for us to go where we want to go because, like you said, without that compass of intent, we'll just kind of go in circles because it gives us the illusion of feeling like we're getting something done or busy work. How many companies uh, mm-hmm. build build trust and create communication and you know lead by example, right? And that looks great on a checklist, but that's not how it is unless you have a brand new company and you're starting from scratch. And even then, that doesn't always work. So what should we be asking? What happens when there is no trust? What happens when there's virtually no no communication? And what happens when the leaders are not willing to lead from a place of example? Those are the questions we have to be asking, not just to ourselves, but of the employees, the C-suite executives, the all the members of the board, frankly, right? I mean, you know, honestly, you know what I would I would do, and and I 
I don't run a big company anymore, but in a pre-hire, if I had a bunch of new hires coming in, I would actually do a values check. Do your values, your personal values sync up with the business values? And if they don't, it's probably don't not going to be a great match. So, I mean, that's I. I mean, if I was running a company today, I'd probably do that because it would probably save us a whole lot of heartache. But I think you're right. I love the way you frame that. And it sounds simple, like you said, but it has to be, especially in the heat of it. And I love on your website you talk about this idea that you don't have this fetishized morning routine where you have to get up precisely at this time and have this perfect thing here and this thing here because one for a lot of people and and, and listen i i love tim ferris i have all the respect in the world for him and he's the one that kind of created that design of he needs these things kind of done for him but people forget the intent which is cognitive load which is bandwidth which is him waking up in the morning and saying shit if i just look at all my emails right now i'm gonna get overwhelmed and now that that peak kind of time is taken from him. But if he has like four things written down where get up and meditate, get up and, you know, drink water, you know, move your body, whatever it is, or how Elrod, this, you know, the miracle morning, all these things are great ideas, but life happens. Life happens as CEOs and leaders. And we don't always have that luxury to, to have a three hour morning routine. So, and you're talking about these reflection questions. So what are the things that you see that CEOs or any sort of leader can start applying on a daily basis that, because it's it's that again that dynamic capacity to adapt. It's not this ironclad thing. If I don't do this, then the rest of my day is going to be unproductive. It's like, frankly, I learned in the military, emotions assassinate the truth. So, so if I'm fatigued or if I have an emotional response to this thing, if I allow those things to be the thing that drive me, then I'm never going to achieve much. Um, am I saying that I have to burn myself out all the time? No, but I am saying that on the days when I am tired or I am distracted or I have a lot on my plate, I don't allow that to be the excuse. I say, what are these three things or two things that I need to get done today? As a matter of fact, when I'm fatigued, in a lot of ways, it's almost an advantage because I don't even give breath to those other things. I just don't. I don't care about social media. I don't care about these uh, this stuff over here. I care about these people, these conversations, these actions. And once I'm done with that, now I can breathe. And maybe that's when I meditate, or maybe that's when I try to catch a power nap, whatever it is, right? But we have to be honest enough to know that it doesn't do us any good to continually sharpen the blade if all we're doing is going blunt. And now we can't even do the job we're supposed to be preparing for in the first place. Yeah, look, I, I think there are a couple of things people can do to answer your question. I think I think the daily reflection is a big, big piece of feeling like you are focused on the right things. I, I think the daily questions, I think 25 is a, an insane number of questions to ask yourself every day right. um, and takes incredible discipline and, and an incredible, um, I mean, I, I start my clients out with six. And, and the question is, did I do my best today to blank? And that you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I would start with six questions. And, and if you can, I don't care if you do this, excuse me for saying this, but I don't care if you do that when you're on the toilet. Everybody's got five minutes that they could take and do this every day. Yeah. Right. I don't care when you do it, morning, day, night, uh, you know, evening, lunchtime, whenever. Take that five minutes to get out of your head for a minute and the swirling of everything that's going on and to say, take time out. How am I doing? It's sort of a self-check. I think reflecting on what you did and what you didn't do that day. I think having a time um, that you can do that set aside uh, is a smart thing to do. Uh, again, it's five minutes. It's five minutes to reflect on the day and think about the good, the bad, the ugly, and what what your day is going to be. One of the things I do is at the end of the day is I I think about tomorrow and and the impact I'm going to have tomorrow and the good that I'm going to do tomorrow. And and I, I go to bed with that frame of mind mm. and thinking about the positives of, of the next day. So I wake up in a better frame, uh, framing the day ahead. You know, I think you could you could go to and get somebody once a week and have a, an accountability partner that holds you to what you say you're going to do, that asks you the tough questions. I think some of these things don't take a lot of time. And, and look, we make time for what's important. You know, I'm busy, you're busy, we're all busy. 
but if 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 you really want to change, if you really want to be better, if you really want to achieve what you want to achieve, then you need to make time for these these things that are going to help move you forward. And and look, I'm it's not just me saying it. It's like a body of work out there that says the success, the super successful people in the world, they have these practices. They have a meditation practice. They have a reflection practice. They they do these things because it works. You don't have to do any of this, and you might be, uh, you know, terribly successful or uh, amazingly successful. But I I I'd say you might get there, but you're going to be pretty miserable at some point. You're going to burn out. You're going to you burn the candle up at both ends. I know from experience, you burn out. And and if you don't do some of this, slow down and do some of this activity, some of these practices, some of these things to, to stay a whole, you know, you mentioned that conversation with Mark Goulston, who's um, got a terminal diagnosis. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday about being whole. These are some of the things that help you feel whole. Mm. They help you feel grounded. They help you feel connected and stay connected to the people and to the things that make you who you are. Like one of the things that I learned a hard way was when I started the toy company, you know, for the first three or four years, I stopped doing the things that make me me, that like give me joy, right? I didn't spend enough time with my kids. I didn't do the athletic stuff that I love to do. I didn't um, do the hobbies that I love to do. Like I gave all that up to marry myself to this company that we had started. And three or four years in, when you're spinning your wheels and you're not where you want to be and things are slow and you're like getting your butt kicked because like things are tough and it's like, what is I? What am I doing? Like, I, I, I'm working 18 hours a day and I'm not moving the needle here. I think you you get to that point somewhere if that's the way you're operating. Like you just you run up against a wall. So I think you have to. Like, I think success to be successful, you have to do some of these things. And not everybody's going to do everything, but like you have to have some of these things that sort of slow you down and ground you and keep you focused and keep you energized. And keep you, and if you don't do some of these things, you can't lead effectively. I think. I absolutely so, agree. That was a long answer, but no, that was that was all beautiful, and that's what people need to hear. They need to understand that, you know, we can silo certain things for a certain amount of time, but eventually, mm-hmm. eventually, there's repercussions, and oftentimes, there's compounding interest that goes with that. So, hundred percent. So uh, again, it's like if I'm fifty pounds overweight as a CEO am I really executing the way that I could, you know, if I, if I were trimmer or if I had a daily practice of of some sort of reflection or hell just went for a walk outside once in a while, like exercise, I mean, anything, it's all, it's everything. It's, it's integral to all of that. And there's so much in this. And then there's also, I know that you're a very well-read person. Is there a philosophy that underlies for you? Because I know that Dr. Goldsmith talks about Buddhism and, and how that some of those practices have influenced his, introspection and things like that and zen and stoicism and even taoism is sort of popular with a lot of these these leaders was there something that you had that that you learned when you were coming up that was philosophical or nature or maybe that you still practice that this will serve you today i grew up in the episcopal church and i i had great youth uh, people who you know i was in the boy scout i mean i i was in all the things uh that um were pretty typical of somebody growing up in South Carolina, um, you know, church camp and sports and, um, you know, I wrestled, I went to the Citadel, I wrestled in college and, wow, you know, wrestling, one of the things that wrestling really taught me was that it was a team sport, but it was also a, an individual sport. Yeah. And, and that was a big lesson, right? And it, it the, the value of hard work and the value of, um, that you're performing for you, but you're also you're there to support the team. Um, and having to earn that spot every week um, mm-hmm. was another big lesson, right? Because there was always somebody coming up that wanted that spot. Oh yeah, that wanted that. Um, so that wrestle off every week was um, was a big thing, right? And you never could take it for granted. And I remember the first year I got in the Citadel, like the guy in my weight class, I think was an All American. You know, and it's like. I am never. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Fantastic. Um, I also remember the first time I wrestled, I wrestled, I got to wrestle in a tournament 
And um, we could all, I think we all, we all got to, to wrestle in that one. And I went up against this guy that was in the, like the number two in the, in the, on the Olympic team or the alternate on the Olympic team. And I think he pinned me in like 11 seconds, but you know, I remember shaking his hand and I remember looking up, um, but uh, he, he just, like a lot of lessons through life, right? Uh, Peace Corps taught me, um, and time in Afghanistan taught me about who I was, um, how much grit I had, how much determination I had, how much um, how much I could accomplish, how much um, um, you know. It taught me a lot. There were a lot of gut check moments uh, there that taught me that I could do anything I wanted to do if I put my mind to it, and if I was really focused and I was really it was really here, I was really you know driven there. Um, that, you know, that I don't give up. I don't, I don't, um, and I'm, I was pretty tough. And I, I so I, you, you sort of learn about yourself and, and you, um, I always talk about, and this is way off what you really asked, but like, I've learned to listen to my gut. I, I, I told somebody the other day that like a lot of my, my career stuff and a lot of my growth, um, has been defined by quitting and uh, I, I had an old coach that said, Quitter, winners never quit and quitters never win. And I, I don't know if I buy that because I think it's really not quitting. It's really I've learned to listen to my gut. I've learned to listen to what my intuition says. And it's usually right. And the times that I haven't listened to it, things don't usually go so well. And when I listen to it, things usually go okay and go pretty well. And so I, I – People say, well, what's your grand plan? I say, I really don't have one. I listen to what, what the universe is telling me or what my gut's telling me. And I, I try to follow that. Um, and so some people say, well, gosh, you, you've done this, 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 you've been sort of schizophrenic. I, I don't think it's that. I think I've just been following what, what the world is saying to me and, and where I should be. Uh, and that usually ends up being pretty happy about where that is and, um, what that situation is until it comes to its logical conclusion. Usually when it's time to go, it's you've reached your, the end of what part of it, what part you play in. Yeah. And so that's okay. That was a long way to say, yes, I, I do believe in the universe. I believe in karma. I believe in, you know, being a good human being. And um, if you do, I think the universe takes care of that, takes care of you, you know? Yeah. Especially when we understand that, we need to do it on a long enough timeline to be able to see what that looks like. Uh, right. Lots of times we expect reciprocity immediately, mm. but that's not, there's nothing good in life. Adversity doesn't guard anything that's not worth having, but it always forces you to put time, effort, energy, money, resources that you may not have at the moment towards it to be able to get to that thing. But walking by faith and not by sight is again, having that gut that allows you to get there. And yeah. there, there may be people saying, well, how do you develop a gut or a gut instinct that you can trust? Well, I believe you've already mentioned a lot of it. Six startups, startups and exits, being a wrestler. Dan Gable said, once you wrestle, everything else in your life is easy. He was also the first one to really coin this idea that he says, you can break most people because most people have never actually pushed themselves as far as they can go before. And as you're smiling and shaking your head, you've been through many of these adversities in your life. And I see... What I have seen, the people that there's a direct proportion to how much adversity that they can withstand and process in a, in a positive way, there's a direct correlation to the success that they have. And you can talk about anything that, that this feels true to for you. Can you tell us about an adversity in your life at some point, in any point, that at that time you felt like there was no way that you would possibly get through this thing? It was going to crush you. You wanted to quit, but yet you did not have that option. Can you tell us about what that was? And then when you were on the other side, what gifts or significance did you take from those lessons going through that hardship? Well, by far the hardest thing um, is when my second son was born. Now I'll tell you about my kids. I have a son named Max Power and a, a, a second son named Will Power. So and if I'd have had a third Canadian rocket, but well, <laughs> I think my wife was going to go for that. But, <laughs> but anyway, so when Will was born, um, he had a thing called CDH, which is a congenital diaphragmatic hernia. And um, 
we didn't know that he had this condition. You typically see it, but in his case, they didn't see it before he was born. And um, so the day he was born, we were just in a regular hospital, not a children's hospital, not a special place. And when he was born, very quickly went into um, uh, whole, I mean, complete failure. I mean, a heart, lung, all kinds of stuff. And what the condition is in the diaphragm when, when they're being, when they're in development, when they are growing, there's a hole in the diaphragm and all the organs migrate into the lung cavity. Mm-hmm. And babies, we can, adults can live with one lung, babies can't. Um, and what usually happens is, uh, particularly when he was born 17 years ago, about 80 or 90% of these kids died. There was nothing really they could do. And particularly since he was, and they were normally, they would be normally born in a children's hospital so that they could put you on all the things that they had to put you on, which actually were still relatively new. So when the night he was born, the doctors freaked out. Uh, there was one doctor that came in. Uh, and actually one nurse, one nurse looked at the, he was, he was in failure. He was in cardiac, he was in breathing. So they had him on a breathing tube and um, one nurse looked at the, they did an x-ray and one nurse, this was about 20 minutes after he was born. One nurse looked at it and said, I've seen this before. And she called the children's hospital, which was, thank God was only um, 25, 30 minutes away. Uh, they transported him immediately. They came and got him, took him to the children's hospital. Now, you know, my wife is still in the hospital. I'm in this transport. Um, get there. And the doctor, a great story about this doctor. He, uh, uh, Dr. Brody, Dr. Brody was uh, played with Steve Spurrier at, at uh, Florida, big hulking guy. Um Puts his arm around him. He says, Rhett, um, I, I just want to tell you that you probably need to go ahead and prepare for him to die and uh, prepare for his, you know, passing. Um, so to have to call your spouse and tell her that. Um, but, you know, I want your permission to go ahead and put him on these new, this new thing, which is called ECMO. And we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to sacrifice his carotid artery. We're going to have to basically put him on these heart-lung bypass machines. And I don't know how long he's going to stay on that if he survives that before we can stabilize him. It's going to be a while before we can stabilize him. It's going to be weeks before we can stabilize him. And then we have to be able to see if he can survive a surgery and see how much lung capacity he has. So, you know, you... The question you asked was, you know, I had been to getting shot at in Afghanistan. I've been through a lot of other things, a lot of other adversity, you know, getting hurt in my junior year and not being able to continue wrestling. You know, we go through these things, right? We go through friends dying and we've, we've, we all have adversity. Life, life throws you a lot of punches, right? Some worse than others. But this one was the worst, like, kick in the gut, like the worst thing that you could possibly hear right that yeah. came out of the blue like it, it wasn't expected there wasn't any kind of uh, warning um and so having to wanting to go into a corner and cry and ball up in a little ball which you can't really do because you you have to be there to make decisions you have to be there to advocate for your kid you have to be there to support your spouse and at the same time just feeling like this this emptiness and this like life just stops and so that kid you know and knowing not knowing for two weeks they they took two weeks and he had and i can't even go through all the stuff that threatened his life in that two weeks it's a long list and and i mean i i just i'll never get out of the image of my mind of literally him being on this heart lung bypass and he's i mean he's on this if you think about wall that's probably 20 feet long he had like tubes i mean to see him like in this tiny little thing and and just everything that was there to, to keep him alive and that doctor stayed with him for almost seven days like didn't leave didn't i mean he was 
he was on the spot. He was there all the time. Um, and then he survived the surgery. Like the, the, and he survived the surgery. He, he had about 75% of his lung capacity. So he was able to su- survive. And um, then they thought, well, a lot of times these kids can't really eat. So you have to feed them with a feeding tube. So we had to learn how to put a feeding tube in his mouth. But he came off that like day 30, he's going home. Like, wow. which is just not common. Like, so he's already a miracle. They prescribe him this art because he's lung compromised. He's got all these things still going. We had to wean him off. He had to go on pre- uh, what's the drug they they take kids or people when they have severe addi- drug addictions, right? Oh, it's yeah. the methadone, methadone. We had to put him on methadone at like two weeks old because they had to wean him off of the all the narcotics that they had to put him on. To, wow. So then. 10 months, he's on this like $5,000 shot a month to prevent RSV. So he then he gets RSV, 10 months, he goes back in the ICU, goes back on the ventilator. He's on the ventilator for two weeks. He gets MRSA. He gets, a, they, when they're putting a central line in, they nick his lung. So now his lung collapses. He gets MRSA. He's on his last MRSA drug. And the doctor says, if this doesn't work, he's going to die a set. He's going to die a MRSA. That drug works. So he survives that. Then we're, um, my wife my wife was in the, in the Foreign Service, and so we were posted in El Salvador when he was four. All the surgery that he had, he gets a bowel obstruction. And so he has to do a bowel obstruction surgery in El Salvador, of all places. Gets an infection. Like, they have to take him to, like, have to air ambulance him to Miami um, to fix it. Um, almost died in El Salvador because the, of the infection. This kid is supposed to be here, <laughs> right? So I, I learned it. Uh, the lesson I learned was, man, like that kid and that that perseverance going to make me cry because it's emotional. But but like just thinking about him and that that what he has gone through and his the kid that he is today um, is just inspiring to me. Like he just. Um, he doesn't let. I remember asking this, this doctor at some point. I don't know who it was, but um, said, "Well, what should I limit him? How should I limit him? Like, should he play contact sport? Like, what what's his limitation in life?" And that guy looked at me. He was like, "I don't want to say it bad word. Don't you dare limit that that kid. Just because his spleen is in a weird place and could you know be damn like." Like, don't you dare limit that kid. And don't tell him that he's limited. Right there. So that's a long answer to the question. But that's the that's that's one of those moments where you have no control. But you have to step up. You had I had to be there. There's like what a dozen leadership lessons in that. There's a dozen coaching lessons in that. There's a hundred human experiences to be expounded from that. And it like you said, this ability to to be there and be present and, and try to, you know, advocate, but then at the same time, when do I allow myself the luxury of this emotion? How, how do I not allow the residue of that to influence? It's been two weeks. Do I? When's the other shoe going to drop? It's four years later. When in El Salvador, is this? You know, he survives this, and this is the thing that that gets him. It it tells us that. We shouldn't have limitations. Even if we have limitations, we shouldn't believe them. Um, truly confirmation bias, right? If you tell somebody that they're talented at something, then they'll build nobility around that. When they face hardship, they'll give up because, oh, well, you know, I could try that, but I don't want to because in their mind, they should be good at it. It should be easy. But your son right. has learned through his life, and there's nothing that I can't do. I'm truly, that, that kid's bulletproof. Like, Let's put him in anything that he wants to do. And with that kind of mentality, and dare I say, I mean, let's be real. I mean, he's your boy. So he got genetics from somebody, right? He got your genetics to to give him some of that. Well, he didn't listen. He didn't listen to me, but maybe he'll listen to somebody else. But uh... Well, we know coaching. (laughs) That's how coaching is, right? (laughs) That's right. I I say it to him all of a sudden. He's like, oh, have you heard this guy? You're like, I've been telling you that for 17 years, son. Yeah, but the way he said it, that's fine. I, I I would tell my oldest son because he's you know he's an athlete as well and 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 
he come home and like the coach told me to do this. I'm like, <laughs> tell me to do that for you know, six <laughs> okay, please do it. Yes, that's great advice. That's <laughs> it. We have to act surprised. Oh wow, that's great. I've never thought of that. That's fantastic. It's like inception. We have to allow them to to come up with the idea on their own. That's right. It's um as coaches, we can lead a horse to water, but that's not our job. Our job is to make them thirsty because we can't that's make right. them drink. That's it. Indeed. Red, I could talk to you for hours, but I think this is a, a decent place to put a bow on it until our next conversation. I have a feeling we'll be talking often in the future. And uh, I, so. I cannot thank you enough. So people can go to reppowers.com, reppower.com to find out about speaking, about coaching, to get mm-hmm. your book, all the things you're up to. You were recently at um, South by Southwest this year, right? Yeah, I gave a talk on accountability and how it's your X factor. Um, and that was that was fantastic. And looking to go back this year, looking forward to this year, I've got a new book coming out on self-talk and our inner dialogue. Ooh. And that's a great, I think a new, a great sort of collaboration I've had with uh, Dr. Susie Burke and uh, Ryan Berman, who uh, runs Courageous. And I'm really excited about that. That's um so hopefully the talk, hopefully we get accepted this year and we get to talk there this year about our inner dialogue and how that really either uh, drives us towards our goals or it actually gets in our way. And we've got a really good system on how to sort of take, you know, stop yourself when you're, when you've got that negative self dialogue and negative self talk and sort of short circuit that and then sort of reframe things. So excited about that conversation as well. I'm excited as well. Is will the book be out this year? Coming out in April. So April, by the April time, uh, yeah, by the time we get to South by, it'll be it'll. Uh, I think South by's in May, so I think it'll be right. You know, be pretty brand new. So fantastic. Well, it's important for us as coaches to find time to write because that's our way. Like you said, this conversation may be the the one thing that changes somebody's life. Or again, writing that book and being able to give it to somebody. I didn't want to write a book because I knew how much work it was, but I was speaking and a woman literally like wagged her finger at me and read the riot act. She's like, how dare you have a story like this? And and it was the woman that was pacing the back of the room for the Q and a, right. And you know, she wants to talk to you, but what it was is she was older and her granddaughter was going through a divorce adversity. And she was saying, how can you have a story like this? How can you speak like that and not have a book? Cause she's not here. I could give her the book and it would help her. And it's like, Okay, I'm going to have to. Hey. <laughs> but that's why we do what we do. So right. thank you so much for everything. I appreciate your your insights. And like I said, your work is, is transforming the lives of thousands of people all the time. Millions of people probably between LinkedIn and everything else you're doing. So thank you for what so. you're doing. And thank you for your expertise and your value. Uh, sorry, you, your, your quality. We already <laughs> talked about that. Thanks, Marcus. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.